0: Listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapin's Colossus. And welcome to episode 144 of the Testudo Times Podcast, where it seems the only thing that happened on Sunday that was outside of the realm of, oh my god, is this really happening again? Is that the New England Patriots actually overcame J.C. Jackson's multiple fourth corner, what would have been soul-crushing penalties to another team, and his dysfunctional viper pitness to get to the Super Bowl. Seems like that would have been a thing that would happen to most other teams, but not to the Patriots because they're voodoo, apparently. Right, Thomas?
1: Yeah, Belichick knows whatever the antidote is for Maryland.
0: Dysfunctional viper pit bites. Something. I would think so, because I can't think of any other team in the NFL that would have been able to overcome that. And yet. And yet, there they are. They're in the Super Bowl again. And everyone on Twitter was incredibly angry. Such is the way it goes. Uh, Justin Fitzgerald is back. Hi, Justin. It's been a while since you've been on the
2: podcast. Yeah, it has. I'm checking in from outside of Baltimore, where everyone's arguing what Mike Mussina should wear on his Hall of Fame play.
0: Oh, no. Well, I'm checking you in from outside of Philadelphia where everybody's arguing who should Roy Halladay be inducted as.
2: His wife has decided neither. It's going to be a blank cap.
0: It's going to be a blank Um, cap to make everybody angry because that's what we deserve now in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Just a pile of platitudes and sentimentality and not being able to put caps on. Anyway, uh, speaking of jokes, by the way, Thomas. Marilyn hires Joker Phillips. Yeah, I know Joker Phillips,
1: who is best known for his jokes. Or in this case, the years ago, his uh, well, he was a wide receivers coach at Florida. He made these like completely absurd photoshops, and they were actually pretty good. And they they were all just like, "Hey, play play for the Joker." So
0: that is coming to College Park. Horrible, horrible Jesse Eisenberg acting thing
1: yes this is back closer not not all the way there but closer to the Heath Ledger days yes
0: uh the Jesse Eisenberg Joker okay let's not get into that because then this becomes a DC universe podcast and nobody cares about that actually people do it's just this is not what you're listening to this for uh we'll get to football stuff in a few moments we've got a lot of Maryland football activities to get to but first we must talk about basketball and it's an interesting time for Maryland basketball, I'd say. They're coming off their first loss in a month, and it's the first time all year where Maryland kind of got beat up, and there's no surprise that it happened against Michigan State, Thomas. And I sensed more realism for Maryland fans after this game until I saw what Daryl Morsell tweeted. And then I realized, well, nope, this is Maryland. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, I mean, there's
1: always, there's always a few, and I guess in this case, Whatever whatever that was got to the players somehow. Um,
0: here's here's a piece of advice. If you're angry at Maryland basketball for not beating a really good team, one of the five best teams in the country in all likelihood, and you were thinking about tweeting the players, please keep those thoughts to yourself.
1: If you're money, if but... you're if you're mad about anything, don't tweet at the players. Yes. Is, they are human is basically beings what and I was They say. can't
0: do anything about it. <laughs>
1: Nope, not anymore, at least.
0: Well, they'll get a they chance. to do anything about the next one. Conference tournament. Mm-hmm. Anyway, back to this game. Uh, besides those comments, which made me feel even worse about that game than I already did. Uh, this is the first time, I think, Mark Turgeon said that his team looked young. They didn't just look young. They looked like they were getting bullied. They kind of looked in awe of the experience for the first time all season. They had been beating some pretty good basketball teams, considering three days earlier, they went into Ohio State and roughed up a not-terrible Ohio State team, but in this game, Michigan State kind of bullied them. And we were wondering when we were going to see a game like that, and it turned out that it happened in a road game at the, well, sixth-best team in the country.
1: Yeah, and in, in the metrics, they're even better than that, too. So Michigan State is, is legit. And you saw, you know, they were without Joshua Langford. Nick Ward didn't score a point. No one for them scored more than 14. Yeah, and they still just had so many guys. They had so many weapons. They had Kenny Goins played fantastic. Matt McQuaid hit like 25 threes, as he always does against Maryland. Cassius Winston is playing like the All-American he might be. Um, You know, they just had so many weapons, and they were all so well-coached. They were crisp. They had, I think, 21 assists on 21 made baskets, and even Maryland didn't turn the ball over that much, but Michigan State turned turnovers and turned missed shots into fast breaks and just destroyed Maryland on, on the fast breaks. The, they outscored them by like 20 points in that category alone.
0: It seemed like Maryland, it's not that they weren't prepared. It seemed like this is the first time that they played a team since arguably Virginia that was better than them. And no matter what you can do, the feeling when you're on the road against a team that's better than you and knows it's better than you is not a fun feeling. And for this Maryland team, that's the first time in that specific case, of course, they've experienced something like this. And there's no shame in losing to Michigan State. There's no shame in getting blown out by Michigan State. And I hope Maryland fans realize that. If this game is going to be played in College Park, it would have gone differently. They might still have lost, but it wouldn't have looked like that. And if Maryland could play Michigan State in College Park later in the year, which they don't, The game probably would look a lot different. And maybe, Thomas, it's actually better that Maryland has a game like this because I think after a while you might get a little bit in your own heads, considering all of the talk, considering all the people saying this is one of the most surprising teams in the country. And to my mind, they're not. We kind of expected them to be good, maybe not necessarily this good. But you kind of need sometimes a humbling loss against a team that's better than you to give you a bit of a reality check and say, we're good, but we still can improve and get better. And I think this team really hasn't had that moment yet this year, and that's going to help them in the long run.
1: There, There's some legitimacy to that. You know, the whole we, – we saw it with the soccer team. Like, they, they spent the first half of the year getting humbled and kept plugging away and became, you know, that, that dynamite team. Now, I'm not saying that this will end up like that, would, but these, these, these games – you can turn them into positives. If you work on what went wrong and just keep plugging away, you know, you can also just cave in and say, we're not there. What are we doing? And it, it can become a negative, but from what I've seen from this team in the past, that, that will, that won't be the case.
0: Yeah. I don't think this team is one that's going to take this negatively. It seems like they're going to take this as a challenge, particularly some of the players that didn't have a good night. Uh, Justin, I think one of the bigger questions that some of us had is, is this team going to hit a wall as young teams do Uh, when many of the games we thought they might hit a wall, they never ended up hitting a wall And this reasonable expectation that this could be a game where that would happen. And it did. Do you think that that's a worry now going forward? I don't think it necessarily is because of all that this team has done already, but I think maybe this is the first time they've lost in a bit and it's the first time they've lost this way. So I think that's, maybe the lone concern if you're thinking about a young team hitting the young team
2: wall. Yeah, I don't think at least right now it should be a big of concern more because of who their next two games are against Illinois and Northwestern are both winnable games, not saying they're going to be easy, but they're both games that, you know, Maryland could use to kind of build its confidence. The bigger warrior guess where I would say the more projected wall, it's going to come is after that when you have four, you know, four of your next five on the road teams like Wisconsin, Indiana, home game against Purdue, who doesn't have a great record but is in the top ten in Ken Palm. I think they also go to Michigan in that stretch. I think that's more likely. We're not necessarily you're going to see a wall. You're just going to see a team, you know, being in situations maybe they haven't been in before. But I think it's worth remembering, though, that you know when this team, when Maryland lost to Seton Hall in December, you know the questions of last year not being able to win close, and this looking like the same team. You know the Mark Turgeon stalled, stalled offense late. They've had games where they won close against Nebraska, Indiana, Wisconsin. So the confidence is there. When you also include, you know, decisive their three decisive road wins in the conference. So it's not like there aren't experiences that they can draw back on. So I wouldn't exactly be worried about hitting a wall just yet, not saying it won't happen, but I don't think it's going to happen just because they're young. I think it's because the conference is as good as it's been in a few years where you're just going to have a lot of really tough games.
0: Although I think maybe the conference is starting to – iron itself out a little bit more i mean ohio state's lost a billion in a row nebraska just lost at our old friend rutgers uh that stretch by the way is at wisconsin at nebraska five days later then six days later they're home against purdue four days later they go to michigan and then three days later they go to iowa that's a pretty brutal stretch right there and they could lose all of them but they could also win most of them too and in recent times they've been winning those games but that's a hard stretch They get it a lot easier to end the season. They end the season more of a soft landing, so to speak. But, Thomas, in that game you were talking about plus-minus, and normally as a hockey fan, if I see plus-minus on my timeline, I freak out because it means bad hockey analysis is coming. But in a basketball sense, plus-minus is actually useful. Uh, It really seemed like Bruno Fernando was the only player for Maryland that played well, and even he had trouble at times in that game. It kind of felt like that game – was where Maryland's bad habits kind of compounded themselves and a really good team took advantage. They started slow, particularly Anthony Cowan. They kind of got lost a little bit in the early game, and normally they're good enough to figure out a way to get out of that hole. We've seen that in multiple different games where they can start slow and it doesn't matter. But against Michigan State on the road, you can't do that. And this seemed kind of like the game where their bad habits came back to bite them the most that we've seen this season.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. So, I mean, on the second point – they did get off to this slow start, but then they went on a 14 to two run to tie the game at 20. And so you think, okay, they're they're in this thing. And then Michigan State countered with something that they found a gear that Maryland doesn't have. They went on 11-0. a 28 six run. It was an 11 zero run to end the half. It ended up being 14 nothing to start the second. It was 28 six overall. So that's a you know you turn a tie game into a 22 point game. In about like ten minutes of game time, and that 's that,
0: yep, and I think some of that, of course, is not just you know most players having bad games. I think you know Michigan State kind of bullied them Maryland's a team that could play physical, but we 've seen this team, Thomas this year have a little bit of trouble against teams they 're going to do that particularly when Maryland gets bullied in the front court, and this was not a particularly good night for Jalen Smith, and I want to get into Jalen Smith in a second, but. You know, you mentioned a lot, like, what is the backup plan for Bruno Fernando? Well, the backup plan for Bruno Fernando this year was actually working pretty well. But then when the freshmen started to look like freshmen, particularly Ricky Lindo and Jalen Smith, you know, then that becomes an issue. And this for the first time all year is when those freshmen look like freshmen.
1: Yeah, and really just those guys, too, because Aaron Wiggins was Maryland was a, a positive with him on the floor like Maryland outscored Michigan state when he was on the floor, he was the plus three. He played 24 minutes. He had 15 points all on threes. Um, Eric Ayala was kind of steady, but it was, you know, Jalen Smith and and Ricky Lindo up front. They just, they looked like guys who came in needing to kind of bulk up and they went up against a fully bulked up Michigan state team and just didn't have answers.
0: It's the first time this year that we can say that. I mean, Jalen Smith's had some iffy games, but Maryland's been able to counteract that. But this game they couldn't, and that's just because Michigan State's so deep. And even, as you said, when Nick Ward had no points, it was in foul trouble the entire game. And these are the kind of games that Maryland is going to play at some point. I don't think they're going to be playing many teams like Michigan State that are going to bully them in the front court like that. But, you know, it's not a bad thing to have freshmen play like freshmen because Maryland really hasn't had that all year. They are one of the youngest teams, probably I think the sixth youngest team, according to Ken Palm, if I got that right, or they're in the vicinity of that. Uh, Justin, I think that the other thing that we saw, and this was a theme on the broadcast if you were watching it, and we know most of you were, it's the Anthony Cowan slow start thing. He does not start games fast, and normally you can overcome that, because Anthony Cowan's good enough to make his own shot and then just get hot at any possible point, but in this game, you kind of needed Anthony Cowan to start fast, and he didn't, and if he doesn't start fast in games like this, it puts Maryland in a hole that they can't get out of, unlike when he starts slow in games against Ohio State or teams that are clearly not of Michigan State's
2: ilk. Yeah, I think that was definitely a it was definitely a huge factor that Cowan couldn't get going. But I guess going back to him starting fast, I think Maryland made the run to, you know, to tie or at least work their way back into that game in the first half when Cowan was taking, I think, his only Break of the game. So they didn't necessarily need him to start fast, but he just never got going. I think part of that was, you know, someone like Cassius Winston playing really good defense on him. And I think it's one thing with him where if he sees one shot go in, especially from outside, it helps him that I mean, you know, gives him the confidence to start to attack and weave his way into the lane. He also, I think he only went to the line once in the whole game, which had really been a big boost and advantage for him when he had been doing these, you know, Jekyll and Hyde first and second halves, and he missed the front end of a one and one. So I think it was more of just an off night. And with, you know, Cowan being someone who likes to drive, but is not as strong or as Taz as Melotremel, Michigan State, I don't think Maryland's going to go up against a team that imposing the rest of conference play, just guys who are big you know, strong, physical, and tough and have some, you know, meat to throw around and, you know, just are going to block shots and not back down and, you know, whiff at some of the fakes and cuts Cowan has towards the basket. So definitely a humbling humbling experience for him. And the last thing I will say, I do agree that they, if Maryland had been able to work back into that game starting the second half, it probably would have been a push from Cowan because once he gets going, that really opens up a lot of things. I think I have to mention the officials.
0: It's not the best officiated game in the world. And complaining about officials in college basketball is stupid. You should never do it, even though we all do it, and I certainly do it watching games. Officiating was bad in that game. It was pretty poor. And again, you're not going to get calls when you're on the road, particularly in the road in that gym. But it was pretty bad, and it was noticeable. And in another game, Anthony Cowan maybe gets some of those calls. But he hasn't here. Uh, and Thomas, I just did one last point on that game. I want to talk about Ohio State and then going forward just in a little bit, but they don't play many teams like Michigan State going forward. The best teams they play, Michigan's guard-oriented, Michigan's backcourt-oriented. Iggy Brasdakis is exactly you know what Michigan State's throwing at you in your front line. You know, Iowa's not that kind of team anymore. The eye-gouger's not there anymore. I forgot his name, and that's probably to protect his identity. <laughs> You also have, as I said, like the Purdue's of the world. They're not the front-court bruising teams that they were, and I think that suits Maryland because it allows them to establish the front-court presence and bully teams a little bit more. And I think that's going to help, but as you said, you need to be able to play games against a lot of different teams, and who knows who they're going to play when the games really start to matter. They could play a team like that, and uh, you'd, like to see, you'd like to see them kind of develop their game a little bit more. But in terms of uh, one other point I wanted to make on Michigan State game, uh, Jalen Smith... We know how talented he is, but I think it's becoming clearer and clearer now that Jalen Smith is probably going to be best served coming back to Maryland in 2019-20 because in games like that against Michigan State or against the biggest teams that are going to bully him and try to push him around, he's been a non-factor. And I'm not saying that Jalen Smith isn't talented, but maybe some of the preseason hype about him and where he could go in the draft was maybe a little bit premature and you could see him next year and this is looking way down the road take a Bruno Fernando type step but he seems like a player at right now that needs to get not only just a boost of confidence but certainly needs more seasoning than maybe we thought at the start of the year.
1: Yeah, I mean, when when he committed, I was kind of under the impression that he would be a two or three year guy because of, you know, the reasons that he's shown. And he's at the same time been, you know, kind of a better college player than we maybe realized he would be because when you were talking about Maryland preseason it was still mostly Cowan and Fernando and you know we weren't really sure what what Smith was and he's been a lot he he just hasn't shown it on a consistent enough basis and his weaknesses have been you know exploited at times and he's 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 fallen off most NBA draft boards that he was on you know at the start of the season and so you know, just kind of looking at that, it would make the most sense as we sit right now for him to come back. Things can change. I I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, declared without an agent um, like, like Fernando did last year.
0: It seems but, like that would best serve him because if he could get a Fernando year, you know, because Bruno <laughs> Fernando's jump is crazy good, as we have talked about. If he can get a Fernando jump next year, and again, we're looking too far down the line, but it's a thought because of what happened to him against Michigan State, he could really blossom into a great player. And he's not you know, a bad player now, but it seems he clearly needs more seasoning, and we'll see whether that ends up being a thing. I think he'll play better down the stretch. There'll be games where he'll be playing against teams where he's much better suited to play against them, but... We'll have to see where that goes. I do want to mention the Ohio State game because that game was one where I think everybody kind of realized, oh, crap, this team is really good because we've not seen them do that to a team on the road in a desperate situation almost ever. And I know you could talk about the fact that they haven't won a road game against a ranked team in over, what, 11 years. But Ohio State's not a bad team. They were desperate, and Maryland went in and kind of stole their lunch money in the second half. And, you know, one word on that game, Thomas. That's kind of the moment, I think, where the light bulb clicked for a lot of people. Like, okay, maybe this Maryland team is better than we thought because this is something we did not see them do in recent years. Even when they were really good, we didn't see them do this. And they did this here, and they did it against a team that needed it way more than they did.
1: Yeah, I mean, the one, the one thing, it was a complete performance except for turnovers, really. That was, that was the but one they thing. they still
0: beat them by, what was it, 14, even though they turned the ball over nearly 20 times? Yeah. Again, how often can you say that about a Maryland team, where they turn the ball over a billion times and then still end up dominating? They would have won that game by 25 if they didn't turn the ball over.
1: Yeah, I mean, just they were clicking on offense. Everyone everyone played well. And pretty much everything went right. And, and you know, even the end of the second half was with Ad Ayala, who was, you know, banged up in that game, and as we saw, didn't miss any time beyond that game because of it. But no, it was just – it's its the kind of game we didn't know they were capable of after they started the season so slow offensively. The performance against Marshall where they took a pretty good team that won a game in the tournament last year and wiped them off the floor, that was big. That, that really kind of – for me, that was a wake-up of, hey, here's what this team could be. But to translate that to a conference game on the road against Ohio State who – couple weeks before was ranked and you know has fallen off but is still you know in that pack of potential NCAA tournament teams out as you know in the Big Ten to to win a game of that magnitude that decisively is huge
0: it was definitely nice to see that and I don't want any of what happened before that Michigan State loss to get lost in what happened in that game and I don't think many Maryland fans are saying that, but you know, they are the minority and they're always the most vocal. And they tweeted at Daryl Morsell stupidly, uh, Justin, let's go to the next couple of games. They are against teams that are not good. Illinois has five wins on the year. I think they're pretty bad. Northwestern's not bad. They just beat Indiana who is in a tailspin right now, but Maryland gets them at home. These are games that Maryland absolutely should be winning. And now they should obviously expect to be winning. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see how they respond Saturday. That game's at the Garden. I mean, it's more of a home game for Maryland than it is for Illinois because if Maryland fans go anywhere, they go to New York, but it's still not a home game. And Northwestern, the students will be back at the very least, so that'll be nice. So what do you want to see from these couple of games going forward?
2: I think the biggest thing is just trying to, I would say, stay consistent. Like, I think the – I think the thing with especially a young team is that it hasn't been the case for Maryland this year, but you never know. They come up with a humbling loss like this, where you like you said earlier, you kind of see that, you know, clear cut between, you know, Michigan State and Michigan at the top of the conference and everyone below it. So just trying to, you know, get that just get that consistency back. Like I think maybe a little more emphasis on for Bruno Fernando getting the ball just because he's been so dominant, continuing to work to try to play through him, and then I think, obviously, you talk about Jalen Smith maybe just more you know trying to get him the ball, get him working as well, maybe you know see him be a little more confident, you know he's been having an issue grabbing some grabbing some rebounds and really playing with confidence because I think that's the biggest thing with him, especially not for the Nebraska game. He said the coaches told him in the locker room, you know, you're way too good to, to be passive like this. So figure out a way to get him more involved. And I think it's just the biggest thing is try to keep going and executing and, you know, not play down to their competition, which has been an issue with Mark Turgeon's teams in the past. Let's not forget. I mean, I know it's a lot of new players, but the guys were on this team last year. You know, they're not I don't think they're going to take Illinois lightly considering they played another bad Illinois team on the road last year and had to go to overtime after blowing a large halftime lead.
0: If there's any team that Maryland is going to put up beaten to, though, it would probably be this one. I think this is the kind of game where Jalen Smith and Bruno Fernando could have some fun. You hope that's the case, but it's a noon start at Madison square garden because the big 10 still wants to make that a thing. And, uh, well, who are we to tell Jim Delaney what to do? He's rolling in the millions, and we're sitting here talking about him and making fun of him and doing a poor job of it. Anything you want to see in these couple of games, Thomas?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just want to see Maryland not rattled by what happened on Monday. You you just want to see him play with confidence. At least
0: the two Don't teams t- they're playing aren't wearing green.
2: Yeah, that, that usually helps. And I... I do think it's good, though, that they get a five-day break because it's not like they're turning around and, you know, playing tomorrow where the loss is still fresh and maybe they're kind of beat up about it because that's, that's something where you have enough time to let it settle and then turn the page mentally.
0: Well, it's yeah, I mean, they're, the, the schedule, just the way that it's gone, they've been playing games basically three days. You know, they played Monday, Friday last week, then Monday. Then Friday, then I think it was, what, Tuesday, then Saturday, then Wednesday, and then Saturday, heading back to Radford. That's a lot of games. At least the good thing for Maryland is they're not playing a ton of games. I mean, yeah, they're going to be playing Saturday, Tuesday, Friday. But then after that, they play one game five days later, then another game six days later. Then the schedule starts to clear up a little bit. So that might give them a chance to rest, which I think this team could use because it hasn't really had any of it going forward. So those two games, Saturday nooner. At MSG, at And then 7 o'clock on Tuesday against Northwestern, who is not as bad as I'm making them out to be, but still a team that Maryland should pretty comfortably beat at home. They beat them last year twice when they were uh, fairly poor. Uh, so I think Maryland should be able to get to them this year. Let's go to football. And there's, there's so much has been happening with football, not the least of which uh, Jalen Hurts going to Oklahoma. I didn't say I told you so, but I did tell you that it wasn't going to happen and you shouldn't get your hopes up. And, uh, yeah. So, however... Coaching staff news. We already made a joke about Joker Phillips, the wide receivers coach who was formerly at Kentucky. Did they throw the ball to wide receivers at Kentucky? I thought they just ran the ball, then uh, got the defense out there. That's I thought all that they did. But well,
1: well, so he he comes from Cincinnati.
0: Oh, he, comes he was. From Cincinnati. I thought he was in UK, but whatever. He
1: well he, he spent a total of nineteen years at Kentucky ah. across two stints. He was he was their head coach from twenty ten to twelve, but he hasn't been there since then.
0: Oh. He's been
1: at he's been at Florida. The Browns, Cincinnati since then. So he's been kind of everywhere.
0: Okay, that's one hire, but we have more interesting hires to talk about. Offensive coordinator is Scotty Montgomery, who was formerly the head coach at East Carolina, and uh, they weren't very good at football. However, he is a pretty good offensive mind, all things considered. I don't know a ton about him other than seeing the East Carolina Pirates lose to FCS teams every opening weekend but what else do we know about him and what kind of offense, Thomas, is going to run?
1: Well, I mean, whatever the case is, this is still going to be Loxley's offense, which is the sort of power spread kind of thing that, that Bama ran. Um, but Montgomery had success as an offensive coordinator for an offensive-minded head coach at Duke. That was David Cutcliffe. Um, I'm, he's going to serve as the quarterbacks coach too which surprises me a little bit because his positional coaching experience is all wide receivers he was Jamison crowder's position coach in college he was antonio brown's position coach his first couple years where he went from sixth round pick to pro bowler and i'm not saying that he deserves too much credit for it but maybe he does well, um does he
0: deserve credit for getting him to go on the mass singer probably not okay but yeah so
1: i mean Fan reactions are, are mixed. He's not the, the splash that Josh Gaddis would be, but I think it's, it'll, it'll turn out to be a pretty solid hire,
0: I would think. And the other coaches that were hired, we got some confirmations on names we already knew as Butch Jones decided to be a champion of life at Alabama because Alabama has literally lost their entire coaching staff, which is amusing to me. I mean, one of the, the defensive coordinator, Tosh Lupoy decided, I'm going to go work for the Browns now.
1: See? Which, which isn't an, as absurd a thing as it was this time last year.
0: No, it's not, because the Browns might not be that terrible, but that's still kind of shocking when you think, hey, I was one of the best recruiters in the country. I was one of the best defensive coordinators in the country, and now I'm going to go work on the defensive lines coach for the Cleveland Browns. But anyway,
1: uh, lots of other coaches were hired. That ends, the, that ends the argument, could Bama beat the Browns,
0: by the way? I absolutely was going to say that. Thank you very much. Uh, there are a lot of other coaches that they hired, but there is one coach they still have not hired, which is defensive coordinator. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, let's go over all the coaches that they hired, or at least just quickly go through the names, because so many of them came out, and they all came out so fast that I lost track. So, Thomas, please do a good job of keeping track for me, I guess.
1: Yeah, so I have – ha- oh, we do have a tracker. Maryland's hired, reportedly hired seven, officially announced six, plus some off-field stuff. Um the six that they announced were Scotty Montgomery, who we talked about, Elijah Brooks at running backs, we, we talked about him a while back, former DeMatha coach, Joker Phillips with wide receivers, Mike Miller, a former college quarterback, Alabama grad assistant, coming on as the tight ends coach because they couldn't get Butch Jones for that job. John Reagan, the offensive line coach, he was Penn's offensive coordinator. He brings decades and decades of experience to it. Um we don't officially have a linebackers coach. John Papuchis is the special teams coordinator right now. He when he was hired his hire was like reported as also a linebackers coach and he might still be, but he hasn't been announced as that yet. Corey Robinson for defensive backs, Papuchis for special teams. And that's that group, so that leaves the the offensive staff is filled. That leaves defense you need, still need a defensive coordinator, defensive line coach, and linebackers coach, and one other spot if you don't already have it.
0: So let's go over defensive coordinator before we get to some of the off-field stuff because they made a very interesting hire there. Uh, we're still wondering who that's going to be. I haven't really heard any names linked to it other than the Tennessee guy who then said no. Again, don't get your hopes up with Maryland football, everybody. It's a worthless, worthless enterprise. He would have been a good coach, but – Unfortunately, he decided to stay on Rocky Top. So, who is Maryland looking at at defensive coordinator?
1: This has been pretty quiet too. A name that I've heard like in the last few hours is John Hoke, who was most recently the Bucks defensive coordinator and he's another guy who's been around since like dinosaurs roam the earth. Um he's 61. He uh he's coached in in college and the pros for 30 years he hasn't been a defensive coordinator in a while and he's Brady Hook's brother so this won't this hire won't excite a lot of people if it happens
0: uh, but it won't incite anybody I'm going to guarantee you no
1: no but you would have to understand that it's probably like his third choice and it is what it is I don't yeah. think it would be I don't think it would be a bad hire it wouldn't be an inspiring one
0: well most of the coaching staff hires have not been inspiring and if you've looked at some of the uh Maryland message boards in the comment sections. Everybody's already freaking out.
1: <laughs> Here's the thing: is the this, this staff is a lot better than you would, than people are giving it credit for right now, because like Elijah Brooks was such a home run, and I I do like the hires of Joker Phillips, John Reagan, John Papuchis, all all those guys. I think are kind of overqualified for their positions. They're you know established. A lot of them have pretty good recruiting history. Um,
0: I think it's just because we were expecting, you know, here's Mike Locksley. He's just coming off getting the Saban touch of gold, and they went swinging, and they failed. Now, I have to be honest, I'd be okay with Maryland swinging and failing as compared to what they used to do, which was not swing and still fail. And still fail. So I'm okay with trying to go for a home run and striking out. You know, baseball's all about home runs and strikeouts now, so they're not trying to hit base hits anymore. So, I mean, that's basically my reaction, and I have no idea what this is going to look like when they actually start playing football. So that's when I will start to formulate more official reactions. I don't know enough about the college football head coaching circuit, not just even head coaches, but assistants and coordinators to be able to make these kinds of calls. If you know more, well, congratulations. I'll defer to you on your opinion then. The
1: analysts who know more than me and us seem to like maryland
0: staff i i mean i guess they might have liked dj Jerkin's staff too but that went well
1: his initial batch of hires was pretty good but there was a lot of turnover because he, he did rub a lot of people the wrong way
0: this is true he also turned out to be not very perceptive about things he should have been perceptive about regardless of this i'll let justin come in and talk about some of these uh hirings as well justin what's the biggest takeaway for you
2: I think for me, it's the Loxley surrounding himself with a lot of guys that have experience. Like we've said, not flashy hires. We have two guys in Joker Phillips and Scotty Montgomery. they both coached at the NFL level. Papuchis has a lot of experience. John Reagan has a lot of experience. Even if it's not flashy, it's guys who have been around the sport a while and know what works and have seen it, you know, the sport transform and adapt into a new era. So it's, it's guys who have just been around and know and can continue to kind of adapt to what, you know, Maryland needs. And like, I just don't understand that people, just because you hire Loxley, like there's still kind of this stigma of it being at Maryland who was not in a great place in the big 10 to begin with and then with everything that happened. It's still probably hard to draw people and coaches there, especially with some of the people in, powerful positions still in place
0: i think that the stigma of maryland at football is going to take a long time to rub off and i mean i was reading comments that saying mike loxley's lost his dmv recruiting touch and i and i'm going like wait a minute what's the evidence to suggest that it was just so bizarre some of the the things that we saw and it was really apocalyptic and it's not like maryland football's exactly been good recently so what do you expect I mean, that, that's really where I stand on a lot of this, so whatever the case may be, there are still some openings to be filled, and Maryland, I'm presuming, is going to be filling them within the next few days. They've got a couple of weeks left in this uh, recruiting cycle, and their class has six hard commits and five soft commits, I guess, so to speak, those who haven't signed yet, and they still have to build a class, so there's a lot of work to still be done. Now, Thomas, there are some interesting hires in the analyst positions, the non field uh, positions and this is something I think you'd know more about than I would uh, so what are we what are we thinking about this because some of the guys have some interesting pedigrees and interesting histories with them coming into Maryland now
1: so I think you're, you're referring to Taylor Edwards yes yeah so Taylor Edwards is the new hire out of this group of off-field guys a lot of the off-field guys at Maryland are staying um, or are at least still listed and recruiting. Um, Edwards, like it's been reported that he's the director of recruiting, but he's listed on the staff page as the director of scouting operations with Marcus Berry, the old director of recruiting still listed as director. Of, like, I'm not exactly sure what the dynamic is between them. I just know Edwards is a good hire and he's someone who seems to be an up and comer in this business. He was at Arkansas for a year and Arkansas had the number 22 class despite going two and 10. And you can't put all of that on the director of recruiting, but you can put a lot of it on him. And for for Arkansas, who hasn't recruited like that, you know, in a lot, you know since they were even winning, and for them to go two and ten and still land a class up,
0: yeah, I would say that
1: honestly above what Maryland was getting over Durkin too. This you you would take like that. that. He he uh, he overlapped with Loxley at Bama. So that's, that's how that happened.
0: Well, he has no responsibility also for Arkansas getting duped by that North Texas fake punt too, which is probably a good thing. That's the important part. That is absolutely the important part. So, again, they've got, as you said, four more on-field coaches that they can hire and probably still some more of the backroom staff, quote-unquote, using a soccer term there, to see what's happening for Maryland. And then recruiting happens. We've heard almost nothing on recruiting, Thomas. Just a quick note on that. There's not much left still to do in terms of the coaching staff, but still enough big holes that need to be filled means that recruiting is not exactly on a front burner thing right now, but I can understand why some fans might be getting a little bit nervous about the recruiting thing because we just haven't heard anything related to recruiting. I know it's been the dead period, but the rumors may now start to pick it up, but it's class is still pretty tiny.
1: It is the, there are a few of the current, Verbal commits who are not signed uh, that are going on official visits to Maryland this weekend. Um, so, so that's happening. I, I still expect most, if not all, of those five to remain committed, just because it's so late in the cycle. They probably would flip by now, if they were going to. But I still haven't heard a ton about new play, new prospects entering. The picture from Maryland and I, I did expect to hear more about that by now maybe that maybe that's a thing for next week and the end of this week is for coaches I don't know
0: but I think there's been so much with the coaching staff all these people that they wanted to get and didn't get that has kind of thrown Michael Oxley off and I mean I can't really blame him I mean he was still coaching until two weeks ago with Alabama and a lot of the things that he had put in place didn't quite work out the way he was hoping it to. So that could be part of it. And there's still a lot more to go. I, as you said, I believe the signing day is the 6th of February. So they have time, which is three weeks from the day we're recording this. Or two weeks, I should say, from the day we're recording this. But there are some things that they have to do. I mean, they'll probably be definitely interested in grad transfers and JUCO transfers and stuff like that. But there's still a lot of stuff that needs to be done on the recruiting front. I'm going to start with Justin for women's basketball because I want to get him a chance to kick off one of these topics of discussion and uh i tweeted after watching the michigan state game another game where maryland got bullied around by a michigan state team at the presley center which was an ominous prelude to what we saw on monday that they haven't really been themselves a big 10 play and that is a bit of a concern and now it's hard to be worried quote unquote about maryland basketball especially the women's team that considering all of their pedigree and all their history and all the talent they have but they haven't looked great in big 10 play at all and that continued Sunday against Penn State. I was watching some of that game and was shocked at how poor they looked at times. Uh, What are we thinking right now about this team that is now at 11th and has some more difficult road games coming up?
2: I think that the early win over South Carolina, at least for me, kind of gave people a flawed picture of what this team looks like just because it was so, so early in the season. And we didn't know that South Carolina would have the bumps in the road that they did early on. So I think that kind of inflated people's expectations towards what this team, you know, a, a legitimate ceiling for this team. But in, I'm not, you know, covering the team as closely to this year. I've watched some of their games, and I do agree with you in Big Ten play. It has not looked as good. They've definitely been underwhelming. I think the biggest things is, even though they've been able to replace the production of someone like Kristen Confroy, who, you know, was not a great player, but knew her role and basically knew what everyone else should be doing on the team. I mean, Taylor Mikesell's a stud could go down as possibly the best shooter Maryland's ever had, but, you know, I just think they haven't replaced that leadership and the team just doesn't seem, I guess, as cohesive this year. Like I think the talent level on this year's team is higher But something just seems a little bit off, whether it's leadership, you know, not always playing a full 40 minutes, not having a player that can, you know, take over and really bail you out any time as good as Kyla Charles is. She just hasn't made that leap to, you know, she can really, you know, be expected to carry a team at all times. So I think that is... That is the big thing is that the leadership and chemistry just, I guess, don't seem to be there. But we do have to remember, too, this is a team with, you know, it's only 10 players. There's only one senior on the entire roster. And in women's basketball, where so few players leave early, teams that are experienced and used to playing together can usually prevail over some talent and are the best team. So, got to remember that Maryland only has one senior in the rotation, two freshmen playing prominent minutes. Probably this is not what you should expect, but obviously that win over South Carolina should not be what they should be expected to do every night on the floor.
0: Well, it seems that South Carolina is not what anyone thought that they'd be. They've been not great this season. I mean, they're still ranked, and going into that gym and winning is hard. Yeah.
2: but. That's... I think they're coming on, but not not as good as they've been. I mean, you lose Asia Wilson, who's the best player they've ever had. and That seems pretty obvious. Uh, Thomas, what do you
0: think about this team? I- I've tried to watch some of their games recently. I watched Michigan State and was kind of stunned at how sloppy they played. I know Michigan State was one of the teams that beat them last year, kind of out of nowhere. This team's pretty decent. Uh, it turns out Rutgers might not be that bad. They've won every conference game they've played. But even then, against Penn State, they played really slow until late in the game. Ohio State, they played really slowly until late in the game. And while you could get away with that some because they've got so much talent, I mean, it's kind of like a similar story we're writing with the men, although the men have overcome slower starts against better teams than this women's team has comparably done. Uh, that Penn State team that they played on Sunday is not very good. That Ohio State team that they played a couple of weeks ago is not very good. Uh, that to me is, it's not, I again, mean, concern with Maryland women's basketball is a relative term and maybe the expectations were inflated a bit, but this team's not what I think even Brenda Fries thought they would be. And I think that there's something to say about that.
1: Yeah. I mean the, that South Carolina win again, it, it really did give you the idea that this could be one of the best teams in the country. And since then they've showed that they're good, but they're not world beaters. And the, the, Average product level in the Big Ten has gone up a lot this year, even if there are only a handful of really solid teams. You know, Michigan State wasn't supposed to be this good, but they've clearly you know, figured, figured things out. There are a lot of good coaches in the league, and what you're seeing right now is a lot of well-coached teams. The talent gap is not quite what it has been before with Maryland being still a really young team. And you know they've they've had enough to win most of these games. They haven't had enough to dominate these games like they they have in years past.
0: Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's like the, the concern I think when you come and when you watch Maryland against Penn State, who is not good. Let's be honest. They took a while just to get up and get out against a team like that. You know, they they play Ohio State this Thursday. And Sunday they play at Indiana, who's not ranked anymore, but they're not a bad team. You know, they've still got games against Minnesota and Iowa left, and they still have to go to the rack. You know, these are going to be times when Maryland's going to be tested. We thought it was pretty clear that Maryland was probably the best team in the conference this year. It's not that now. I mean, they could still easily win it, but it's it's a surprising thing to see some of these issues that – this team has had they've, they've not shot the ball particularly well there are times when they were rebounding as well as a Brenda freeze team should rebound and again maybe the south carolina game threw our expectations out of whack and that's fair to say but i i would have thought that this team would have looked a little bit better in some of these games against teams that are clearly inferior to them than they have and that that to me is what stood out the most i haven't watched all the games but in the ones that i've watched that's been a constant theme right
1: yeah i mean they started the year off as one of the best rebounding teams in the country and they have not they've won a lot of these rebounding battles but not significantly at all. And part of that is like Shakira Austin who's been like a monster down low has kind of, you know, took a while to get going in Big 10 play. Um has had a few really good games of late and so maybe if she continues to turn into what everyone knows she can turn into. Um, you know, that'll that'll help fault maryland up a level. But in the games that they're rebounding well, they're not shooting super great and the games that where they're shooting well, they're not rebounding great and when they're doing both okay, they're turning the ball over. So they just haven't had a game where everything's gone right for them.
0: And it's a surprise cuz Brenda Freeze teams put together complete performances. We don't see that. Some of that could be attributed to the youth. Uh, but some of that is just maybe this team isn't quite as good as we thought they'd be. And they're not dragged down by the youth. But it's something that Brenda Freeze teams don't normally have to deal with. And they're finding it a bit difficult to deal with going forward. As I said, at Ohio State, that game is tomorrow or today when you're listening to this podcast. And then Sunday, they play in Indiana. And we will continue to cover that story as it goes on. Is there anything else, Thomas, that we need to mention? Because I always forget something.
1: I'll go with uh, Donovan Pines heading to D.C. United. Yep. Okay. Homegrown contract. All right. There's not much else. Uh, Gymnastics is putting up good numbers. Um, Not like winning matches, but actually the gymnastics is weird because the scores matter more than wins and losses. You just kind of play at the same time,
0: in the same place as a different team.
1: No, the points matter, but the results don't matter. Don't matter. Ah,
0: okay, so it's the anti-who's line.
1: Yeah. Good. So Good. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna write a full story about college gymnastics being the anti-who's line. Is it anyway now? Okay. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go work on that soon. Uh, wrestling is still getting blown out by everyone. Um, that's that's really it. I think. I don't uh, know if we're missing much.
0: Uh, Kevin Herter's still playing well.
1: Kevin Herter's playing well. Jake Lehman's playing yeah,
0: well. Yeah, I saw that.
1: Alex Len's
0: still doing all right.
1: So there's – Justin Jackson's out for the season with an injury. Oh, boy. Um, Melo Trimble's playing well in Australia.
0: I should talk to my Aussie broadcaster friends about that. Remind them that one of the best players in that league is a former Maryland Terrapin and probably one of the favorite Maryland Terrapins of all time. They wouldn't understand a word of what I'm saying. Yeah, that... <laughs> I, yeah, I, that
1: might be not the easiest to understand, but they'll get it eventually.
0: They'll they'll figure it out if I show the Milwaukee buzzer beaters against Wisconsin this party. Yep. I would That'll definitely do. I think to do that. Actually, you remind me. I might do that later. It is not really that late. Oh, Francis Tiafa lost in the quarters of uh the Australian Open to uh Rafael Nadal. And I say that because he's from College Park in Hyattsville, so PG County represent.
1: Honorary terp. I mean, Honorary it's it's been fascinating Tiafva. to see how much Maryland fans have rallied behind Tiafo.
0: Well, like he's also really, really good. And at some point, he's going to win a major. Yes. So, if uh, I mean, listen, I'll take anybody as an honorary turf if they can definitely claim it. And uh, he's from PG County. I don't know if he was raised at College Park. I think he was, he was born in Hyattsville or something. He,
1: he grew up at the Tennis Center. He did. I mean, that, that was the whole thing because his dad was a... Custod- he was he, he worked on the construction crew that built it, and then he was hired as one of the super, you know the grounds crew supervisors, and so like they gave him a place to live there, and so Tiafo and his brother like lived there for a while.
0: If you don't know where the tennis center is, I mean most of you do, but it's it's right by the College Park Metro Station. I did stories there uh, during some classes. Uh, great place, obviously, and uh, yeah. So yes, we're definitely counting him as a Terp even if he didn't go to school. He's absolutely an honorary Terrapin, and that's why everybody's rallying around him. And again, as I said, he made it to a quarterfinal of a major. He beat some good opponents to get there. I mean, Rafa beat him. Rafa's going to be a lot of good people. Uh, but he's probably the next best young American tennis player that we have. Uh, a lot of the other guys who are in that 27, 28 range didn't take the leap, I think, that some people in the tennis world thought, but Francis Tiafoe could. He's going to win a major soon. And, uh, it's gonna yeah, he's be 21. He, he just 21. turned 21. So he's got a long way to go. And 21 in tennis years is very young. Trust me. I mean, I know 21 in most sports now is not young anymore, but in tennis it is very young. And most of the players who have been trying to get up to Rafa, you know, Roger, Novak levels, other than 65, who finally just beat Roger, they haven't done that. So Tiafoe going to get there and at one point is going to win a major and it's going to be celebrated like some national championship in Maryland. Certainly the tennis center will be and that'll be a... A good thing, good thing you uh, you didn't remind me of that, but I just remembered it myself, and thank God I did, because I would have been really mad if I forgotten about Francis Tiafo. Anyway, I think that's it for now. We will be podcasting next week after more basketball and football related news. By that point, hopefully, Maryland has a defensive coordinator. Uh, until then, of course, no terms. No.